You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Sunday to all of our listeners. Hope everybody's enjoyed their weekend. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Going to kick off this week with a special edition mailbag. Didn't get to have a mailbag in last week's set of shows. Had a lot going on with the schedule reveal and things of that nature. So going to dedicate this entire bonus episode to answering your questions. So without further ado, Let's get to it. First question here coming from Hawks Nest 206. Is Drew Brees coming out of retirement and playing quarterback for the Seahawks? So I'm just going to come out front right now and say, no, that is not going to happen. And obviously, Drew Brees today made a tweet that got a lot of people stirred up saying he was exploring all of his options. He could still be working for NBC next year. There was a report that said he would not be back. But his tweet suggested maybe he would be with NBC. Maybe he would be playing again next year after retiring last season. Maybe exploring some business-related options. Who knows how serious he was about the coming back potential. But I will say this. If Drew Brees is going to play football in 2022, it's going to be for the New Orleans Saints, who he played for for most of his career. I don't see him coming back and playing another uniform. And I also think that his contract would toll. So if he came back, I think he would be under contract. I'm not 100% sure on that. I was doing some research before the show, but I'd be surprised if he played for anybody other than Saints. And honestly, I'd be surprised if he's playing for anybody next season. I think when he retired, he was ready to walk away. It'd be a bit of a stunner if he's on an NFL field actually playing next season. Next question here from Frank Buckner. Do you think Jadevian Clowney would make sense for Seattle to bring back? I do think that there may be some reasons to consider bringing back to Devin Clowney because he can play 4-3 defensive end. He can play that 3-4 outside linebacker position. Seattle enjoyed him when he was here a couple of years ago, then left in free agency. That entire fiasco waiting till training camp to then sign for the Titans. He's been bouncing around, still a pretty good player, and he had a very solid season for the Cleveland Browns last year. The reason I don't see it happening, there's two reasons. One, the Seahawks are not in a position where they're going to be adding a bunch of veterans to this team. This is a young, rebuilding team. I know Pete Carroll and John Schneider hate that word, but this is a rebuilding team. And so I don't see the Seahawks signing a player like Clowney who's approaching the age of 30 that is going to command some money even at this stage of his career more than what the Seahawks are wanting to pay. And I think the other reason is you just drafted two guys at the outside linebacker position in Boye Mafe, as well as Tyreek Smith. And you have a Chenanduosu who you signed in free agency. Daryl Taylor's coming back. There's not really a spot. You're going to be playing snaps. that could be going to one of these younger players that's part of your future. So while he has some positional versatility, has played in a 3-4 with the Texans earlier in his career and was pretty darn good at a 3-4 defense, I don't see it happening. I would not say that it's impossible, but pretty slim chance they're going to be bringing in any veterans like that at this stage of the offseason, given the state of the franchise right now. Next on our questions here from Redberg79, is there going to be a new alternate uniform available this coming season for the Seahawks? So I would say that there's not going to be. They're definitely not bringing the throwbacks back this year. And they said the big reason was trying to catch up with suppliers coming out of the pandemic. 
not going to be able to get the retail stuff caught up to bring back throwbacks. But it sounds like 2023 that fans should be able to see the original Seahawk uniforms coming back as throwbacks. So not going to see any new ones this year. They will have their traditional navy white, the wolf gray, as well as the action green, the uniforms they've had the past few seasons. Next year, I would anticipate you're going to see a throwback. No other new alternates being mixed into the fold at this point. Sajin, how much should we pay DK Metcalf? Well, I actually wrote an article about this today on All Seahawks and kind of explored the deals. Really, this offseason has been crazy because you had the Russell Wilson trade, obviously, Deshaun Watson getting moved to the Cleveland Browns, a couple of other big-name trades. But receivers, that's really where all the craziness and all the chaos has been with Tyreek Hill going to the Dolphins and then getting a huge contract. Uh, setting a record with $30 million per year. Devontae Adams going to the Raiders to rejoin Derek Carr, his Fresno State teammate. Then you had the A.J. Brown trade on draft weekend in the first round going to the Eagles. Before that, Stephon Diggs, almost $100 million on a four-year extension. So these receivers, they've been moving, and they're getting a lot of money. D.K. Metcalf, Metcalf at 24 years of age. I anticipate, given the numbers he's put up, he's one of only five receivers in NFL history to have 200 receptions, 29 receiving touchdowns, and over 3,100 receiving yards in his first three seasons. Jerry Rice and Randy Moss are two of the others on that list. This is still an ascending player that has put up phenomenal numbers his first three years, not even 25 years of age yet. I think he's going to fall between A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams, maybe in that $27 million, and maybe around the same as DeAndre Hopkins for the Cardinals. I think that's the sweet spot there. I would not go above that, but because of his youth, he certainly could make an argument, hey, my best production is ahead of me. I want $30 million. And if it ends up boiling down to that, the Seahawks don't have Russell Wilson's contract on the books next year. I think you got to make that move. You got to resign your superstar player, the best player in your roster at this point, one of your foundational pieces for your next contender, whether that somehow is this year or the next year after that. Whenever they're back, they're going to have him on the roster. So I expect this is going to get done, but it is going to be expensive and he's going to prove to be worth that money. This is a guy that put up some big numbers with Geno Smith in three games last year. I think he's going to be just fine, even with the quarterback change uh, in Seattle. So I think he's going to be worth that money. Nike 911, can we win one game this year? Please make it be week one. Stick it to Wilson. So this is an interesting question. Can we only win one game, but you want it to be against Denver, and then eh, we can lose the last 16 games. Not a big deal. It's so interesting where Seahawks fans are at at this point because you know you want to stick it to the former quarterback who didn't want to be here anymore. That's understandable. At the same time, you want whoever's going to be the next quarterback. If you're not sold, it's Drew Locke or Geno Smith or Jacob Eason, or Baker Mayfield. Like, we want a quarterback in next year's draft class. If there's a certain one you want, then obviously you want to have a very high first-round pick. And if the Seahawks outperform expectations, it's going to be a lot harder to get that quarterback. And so I'm going to tell you right now, I'd be stunned if they only won one game. I also think it's going to be pretty tough to beat the Denver Broncos. So I don't know that you get either one of your wishes there. But it's an interesting dynamic for Seahawks fans that haven't had to worry about you know, rooting for a rebuilding team for quite some time. It's a much different situation. Pete Carroll's convinced they're not going to have a high pick because he's always optimistic. But I mean, right now it's going to be tough sledding given the schedule that they have in 2022. 
Kay writes, Tyreek Smith had a high pressure rate in college. Why didn't he have the sacks? So I think there's a few factors behind that when you watch the film. I think one thing is the talent around him. I don't know how many times that Tyreek Smith was able to get pressure and then another one of his teammates. I mean, the Buckeyes are loaded with NFL talent. One of his teammates would end up getting the sack. So there were a number of sacks that Ohio State produced that you could really, if you watch the play, you could credit Tyreek Smith for making it happen because the pressure that he had from the outside. I think that maybe the lack of explosiveness, and ultimately I think he's more explosive than his testing numbers showed, but he's not the best athlete off the edge out there. He's certainly not Boy Mafe's athleticism flying off the edge. That may be part of it too. If he just had a little more oomph in his step, probably could have finished off a number of those plays. But this is a guy that has the hand technique. He's got a great motor. He plays hard every single play. It could be one of those players if he's a little healthier. That's another factor. He was playing a hurt a lot of his time at Ohio State. If he's healthy, maybe some of those pressures turn into sacks and he ends up putting up some pretty big numbers. He had a lot of guys in front of him too, players like Chase Young. So there were a lot of factors. But I don't know that necessarily that pressure rate means he's going to come to the NFL and suddenly become a sack master. But it's certainly possible that he could be better at creating sacks in the league than what he was at Ohio State, especially playing as a – three, four outside linebacker in a two point stance, which might be a better fit for him than the four, three defense that he played in for the Buckeyes. Johnny Seaver, do you think Brian Monet has potential to leapfrog Woods at the nose tackle position? I think this year I would say no. Uh, Al Woods, I don't know if he could replicate last season because that was the best year of his career. He's going to be 35, but I think he's still got some good football left in him. I just don't know that Brian Monet is as good as he has been his first couple of years in the league. I just don't know how high his ceiling is. I think he is a very valuable rotational nose tackle, but I don't know that he's got starter upside at this point. He's also had some issues staying healthy. So I'm going to say no on that. That doesn't mean Brian Monet can't be an impact player. I mean, the game against the Colts in the opener last year, he dominated that game. We just haven't seen near enough consistency from him. Then he's gotten banged up, and that's hindered his play. So until I can see him replicate what he did in that game over a number of games, I'm not going to jump and say he suddenly becomes a starter at the nose tackle position. I think that's Al Woods and Puna Ford in this 3-4. That's where they're going to be lining up. This special edition episode of Locked on Seahawks is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need, why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts? from a chain store or car dealership. Honda Odyssey fuel pumps, for example, might be $353 at a chain store and just $216 on Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They have everything you could need, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write Locked On in their How'd You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Sunday edition. It's a special edition Q&A live stream, tackling all of your Seahawks and NFL questions. As always, I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Let's continue our questions here. 
Does Daryl Taylor take the next step? I can see him being a perennial 10-sack-a-year type of player. I don't necessarily disagree with that potential. And I, I saw some things last year early in the season that you typically see from a guy that is raw, that is inexperienced. And everybody has to remember, he missed his entire rookie season. So this is really a pseudo-rookie year for Daryl Taylor. And the thing that I saw that really intrigued me and at the same time it was worrisome early in the year is the struggles flattening out the top of his pass rush. He was getting upfield fast. You have that explosive first step, the ability to get past the tackle, and then he wasn't able to dip the shoulder and flatten out his pass rushing path. So I don't know how many times he ended up overrunning the quarterback in the pocket. And then later in the season – wasn't as consistent, didn't have as much after that neck injury that he had in the Pittsburgh game. I just didn't feel like he was as impactful rushing the passer the second part of the season. But you start to see some improvements in that regard, flattening out the pass rush. So I'm curious to see what he looks like now going into what really is his sophomore season in the NFL. If he's able to combine that quick first step, the explosiveness, his underrated power, he had some really nice bull rushes last year. You blend those with a better job flattening out his route, his pass rushing route, and being able to turn the corner quickly, I think he does have the upside to be a double-digit sack guy, especially in this 3-4 defense that I think really caters well to his strengths because he can occasionally drop into coverage. He can play the run, setting the edge better than as a 4-3 end where he's got to play at the point of attack against offensive linemen, this is a better fit. So I do think there's a very good chance that he could make a leap this season. He's got to stay healthy. That has been a, a major issue for him the last couple of years. But if he's healthy in this scheme, I think that he could blow up in 2022. Sai should Ken Walker III be running back number one or number two? Well, I think outset of the season, as long as he's healthy, Rashad Penny's got to be the guy, right? I mean, People are forgetting what Rashad Penny did the last six games last year. That was a historic tear. So as long as he is healthy, I mean, you don't see 230, 235-pound running backs with that kind of explosiveness. He is a much bigger back than what Ken Walker III is. That does not mean that Walker could not be the starter at some point in the season, especially with Penny's durability. I think this kid is a special runner. I just didn't think the Seahawks were going to pick him in the second round. But obviously with Chris Carson's health, up in the air, his status uncertain. This was a bigger need than I think a lot of fans realize. So he could be your number one guy at some point. Maybe he comes in and just outright beats Rashad Penny in camp. I'm not foreseeing that right now. As long as Penny's healthy, the confidence he gained back late last season, he is a dynamic player. You just got to be able to keep him available. It's nice to have another really dynamic back, though, that you can rotate with him that can eventually be your workhorse, maybe as early as middle of next season for the Seahawks. The Relicon, should Shane Waldron use more three tight end sets and utilize the size and versatility from each of the tight ends Seattle has, either for run plays or pass plays? Well, I'm always in favor of using more tight ends, and Seattle's got a really interesting trio. I know a lot of fans were upset about the contract that was given to Will Disley, three years, $24 million, and the cap hit he's going to have the second year. I think that there are some reasons to question that given the lack of receiving production the last two years for him. But we saw what he could do before he got hurt his first two seasons. And I think Disley is a better receiver than he's been able to show the last couple of years. It's just been difficult for Russell Wilson to get the football, the tight ends, especially since 2020. 
And I expect that's going to change a little bit with Waldron coming from Sean McVay's coaching tree. They're going to be running a lot of 12 personnel. They're going to want to find a way to get Colby Parkinson involved too. The foot injuries have really derailed his progress. He had a great training camp last year before he re-injured his foot. I thought he had a chance to potentially be a major red zone weapon for Seattle. And then he had to sit out the first few weeks. And when he came back, he was out of the loop. He wasn't getting many snaps, showed some progress late in the season. Now I'm wondering where he fits in now with Noah Fant coming in, Will Disley re-signing. But I think you can get all three of those guys, especially with Fant's ability to play outside in the slot, moving him around some. He's got that versatility that Gerald Everett did. I think you could play these three tight ends together some. I wouldn't expect a ton of it, uh, but maybe they lean more towards having 13 personnel with three tight ends in the field. I think there's a lot you can do, and it helps your run game as well. HB, any positions you think we could use some veteran help at? I wouldn't mind Mike Davis if Carson is gone. Three-headed monster. Well, Mike Davis recently got signed, so he's no longer available. Uh, I, I do think that running back is a position that if Chris Carson truly is not healthy enough to play this year, which right now if I had to make a prediction, I, I, I don't think he's going to be. And I, I think it was very telling that the Seahawks picked Ken Walker the third when they did because I don't think they would have made that move if they had any optimism Chris Carson going to play. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that Chris Carson can play this year, and I hope he's healthy enough that it's safe for him to play. Uh, I just, at this point, based on what we've seen, things that have happened, to me, actions are speaking loudly here that the Seahawks are pessimistic about that. So maybe they could consider bringing back somebody like Alex Collins for training camp. I thought Collins played well last year until he got hurt. And he just never was healthy the rest of the year. He was dealing with a groin issue that really hindered him the rest of the season. I thought before that, though, he played well. I don't know that he'd make the roster, but it would be another body that knows your scheme that would make some sense. Uh, there's not a lot of names out there otherwise in the running back position, uh, but Mike Davis, like I said, being off the board, I don't see them going you know, for any other bigger names that are older backs. But I could see Alex Collins being one that makes sense. As far as other positions, I could see him adding another tackle to the mix. I like the four young tackles they have, but maybe having a more experienced player. It isn't going to be Dwayne Brown. Uh, that ship is sailed with Charles Cross now being your left tackle that I would expect him to start day one. But I think getting another veteran tackle that can come in and work with some of these younger guys would make some sense. There are a few players out there that have started some games in the league that could compete. And I think that would be a big deal for these young guys at the tackle position, particularly the rookies, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas coming to the league. Lean on a veteran. Right now, the elder statesman of this team is Jake Curhan, who's got five starts under his belt. So I could see them going that route. But again, this is a rebuilding team. I really would be surprised if they do anything crazy in free agency the rest of this way. I think they're going to go with the young group they've got, and they're going to try to develop these players and see what happens. Frank Buckner, do you think Jordan Brooks moving back to the middle can help his pass coverage? Well, I don't think Buckner's going to, or I don't think that, I don't think you're going to be playing middle linebacker, but Jordan Brooks is going to be playing the same spot that he has played the last couple of years. The difference is going to be that they're going to be in more of those three, four looks, and he will have Cody Barton next to him. They're going to have the two overhang linebackers. So, you know, I, I could see that helping him a little bit in terms of maybe there's less space for him to cover in coverage, but I thought his coverage last year was pretty good, and I can't tell you how many times opposing quarterbacks 
just made the perfect throw. There was a game, I think it was the second game against the Rams, that Matthew Stafford just made an insane throw to the middle of the field. And I believe it was Cooper Cup. And Jordan Brooks was all over him. But the throw was so perfect that it just it beat amazing coverage. And that happened a lot to Jordan Brooks last year. And I thought he did a great job with his awareness against screens in the last five or six games. That was something that dogged him early in the year. So I do expect him to get better in that regard. And I think the end of last season really showcased what he's capable of. He's still got a lot of room to grow there too. The athleticism is there and there have been flashes. There have certainly been some plays where he's allowed receivers to get separation on him. That's going to happen some to middle linebackers in today's NFL with the athleticism and the scheming that these offenses have. But I think that there's a lot of potential for him to continue growing there. Not necessarily a different position for him, but I expect just the experience, getting more snaps, how he finished last year is going to allow him to be able to make quite a bit of strides in coverage. Saijen, do you find it fitting for Locke to play against the Broncos? So everybody's talking about the Russell Wilson revenge game, but for Drew Locke, a much smaller storyline. This is his chance to show what he can do against the team that he just quite frankly didn't get the job done for. And You go back to Drew Locke's rookie year when he went 4-1 and one as a starter. They were very high on him at that point. I think that John Elway and company thought, we finally got our heir apparent for Peyton Manning, and then we had that crazy 2020 offseason and the lack of snaps on the field, all these rookie receivers that Drew Locke was not getting reps with, and then he gets thrown into an abbreviated training camp that's got all the COVID protocols. It ended up being a nightmare. Oh, by the way, there's a new offensive coordinator, too. All these things kind of spiraled, and Drew Locke's not going to make excuses, but that certainly hindered his progress. Just getting a fresh start a fresh start gives him a chance to, you know, with an offensive coordinator in Waldron that's running a similar scheme that he ran his rookie year, it gives him a chance to be able to go back to that. And if he can play like he did in his rookie season, it gives the Seahawks a chance to win week one and maybe win more games than people are anticipating. That's a big if, given what we saw the last couple of years, losing his job to Teddy Bridgewater. But yeah, uh, this is a great opportunity for him in week one going against his former teammate. Hey, I'm only 25. I still have talent and, you know, go out and show people I can be the quarterback. He's got to beat out Geno Smith though first. That's what I'm going to say right now. He's got to beat out Geno Smith. And I think that's going to be tougher than a lot of people realize because Geno Smith played pretty well those three starts he had last year, and he's got a great chemistry with DK Metcalf. He knows the offense. He's got that advantage. So Drew Locke, go beat him out and then worry about beating your former team in week one. And that creates a little bit of a storyline. A side note to Russell Wilson coming back to Seattle. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's NBA playoffs. Go Warriors! Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports and wagering informational needs. From live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Sunday edition. Got OTAs coming up here for the Seahawks here in a few weeks answering your questions. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. First question here in our next segment, coming from Kay, who do you think will be the starting corners? Man, 
that's a tough one to start off this particular section because that could go a number of different ways. And it's so early, not having seen all these guys working together, but I will make a prediction for you. Sidney Jones, you gave him the contract he did because you believe he can be the starter again. He played really well late in the season a year ago, finally playing like people thought he was going to coming out of Washington and back in his old stomping grounds in a scheme that fit him well. That was the best he's played in the NFL. So I think Sidney Jones will be a starter in week one. There's some wild cards on the other side. If Trey Brown is healthy back from that patellar tendon injury and he's able to pick up where he left off before he got hurt, he's got a very good chance to be that other starter. I thought he was fantastic in the three starts that he had last season, but that is a major injury to come back from. I don't know if he's going to be fully healthy when training camp opens. If that's not the case, Kobe Bryant coming from Cincinnati, the Red Mamba himself. I'm a big fan. I loved watching Sauce Gardner in the pre-draft scouting process, but this kid is really good too. Much different skill set. Not the same athlete that Sauce Gardner is. Not as big, not as long, but extremely instinctive. And he plays a physical brand of football. He's also a ball hawk. This guy gets his hands on interceptions, breaks up a lot of passes because of his instincts knowledge of the offense, really smart football player. I think that he's a high floor. Don't necessarily know he's a high ceiling guy coming to the league, but this is a fourth round pick that can start for you day one. So I would actually lean right now. I would make the prediction that Kobe Bryant is going to be starting next to Sidney Jones. I think Artie Burns and Trey, Browns will, uh, Trey Brown will be in the mix there. Tariq Woolen is going to need some time. He could be a starter for you down the road, but he's very raw unpolished. Pete Carroll and company are going to need some time to work with him, but he's going to be on the roster that you're not going to risk losing him as a waiver. Somebody's going to sign him immediately with his athletic gifts, but I would go with Kobe Bryant starting as a rookie in week one across from Sidney Jones. If I had to make a prediction right now, if Trey Brown's healthy and we see that later in the off season, I might change my mind, but based on what we know, I'm going with the rookie for right now. Anyone from the latest draft class that may surprise us in terms of impact as a rookie? Well, I got a couple names that pop up. I could see Tyreek Smith in the fifth round. I mentioned him earlier, you know, not, not having the sack production at Ohio State, but the pressure rate was really high each of the last two years. He battled some injuries. He had to wait for his turn. This is a kid that's much more explosive than what his testing numbers suggested. On the field, he's just one of those guys in pads. He plays faster, and he's got a motor. I could see him being a really solid rotational guy right off the bat. Him and Boye Mafe both. Alton Robinson needs to be ready to compete because those two guys are going to come in. They want snaps. You've got Daryl Taylor. You've got a Chenin Wosu. So I could see him being a fifth rounder that can come in and play right away. I also would keep an eye on Bo Melton and Dariq Young, the two seventh round wide receivers. Now, Dariq Young is making that huge jump from Division Two. A lot of times those guys, it takes time for them to figure things out in the NFL. But this guy's such a physically gifted athlete at 6'3", 222 pounds, 4'4", speed, sub seven second three cone. All the traits are there. And he's really smart too. This is a guy that has an engineering physics degree. So I think that the that's a guy to watch. Bo Melton at Rutgers could have had much better numbers if he had a quarterback. He's a player to watch that I think could impact special teams and maybe get some snaps on offense for him. So I think there's a number of those day three guys. Right now, I think all nine draft picks have a really good chance of making this football team, and that would be a great sign for the Seahawks if they try to get back into contention. 
Dr. Dab, do you think Cody Barton can take over Bobby Wagner's position? I think he's, I think he certainly can if he can find a way to play the way he did the last two games last year in his place and do that consistently. There have been some things when Cody Barton's been in the lineup that have bothered me a little bit at that middle linebacker position. It seems like he can get engulfed by blocks at times. I've seen inconsistencies in coverage that I didn't expect, but when he gets his hands on guys, he finishes. This is a very good tackler. I think that as he's gotten more experience, he saw that late last year, that his athleticism was starting to take over because he is a really good athlete. He's a former safety that converted the linebacker. So I think that the traits are there as long as he is able to play with the physicality that he needs to. That's going to be the big question mark for me. If he can do that, he's been waiting, biding his time for three years. A guy the Seahawks have been very high on since they drafted him. There just hasn't been a spot to play him. Now he's getting his opportunity. I do think that the leash will be fairly small. If he goes out the first few weeks and struggles, the Seahawks have a few other younger linebackers that they might give an opportunity at that point. Not that I'm projecting that'll happen. I think he's going to do fine. Uh, but there is going to be some pressure. I mean, you're filling the shoes at number 54. Those are big shoes to fill. I think he's got the tools to do it. We'll see what happens, though. He hasn't played a lot of snaps on defense for the Seahawks in his first three seasons. So he's still a pretty raw player going into his fourth season. Saijin, how do you perceive the Seahawks record this season to the point of drafting a QB in 2023? Well, I think based on the way that that question is worded, you're probably asking what kind of record I think they need to have in order to ensure that they're going to get a top quarterback. Well, if you're wanting to get a pick that's in the top three, which a lot of these quarterbacks could very well, you know, the, the top guys are probably going to go in those top three you probably need to win three or four games to get that guy. The thing that they have working for them, though, they have that other first-round pick from the Denver Broncos. And Denver, there's no guarantee that team is going to the playoffs because the AFC West is loaded. If somehow the Chargers, Raiders, and or Chiefs end up in front of Denver, Seattle might be looking at a, another top 20 pick, and that gives you the ammunition to be able to move up potentially. You have two second rounders. You can maybe move up packaging those first round picks and one of your second rounder if the quarterback's there that you want. So they do have that leverage. But if you're wanting to have a top five pick to be able to get that quarterback, yeah, you're probably hoping that the Seahawks lose a lot of games in 2022 and only win maybe three or four to give yourself a chance to get one of those high picks you don't want to tank on purpose. You know Pete Carroll won't, but that's the scenario that has to play out if they want to get one of those picks and automatically ensure they have a chance to get one of those top quarterbacks. But Inlet Jr., isn't Jordan Brooks the natural Bobby Wagner replacement? Seems more like a middle linebacker than a will. Well, in this particular defense, there's not really going to be much of a difference with them running a 3-4. You're going to have your two off-ball linebackers they're going to do a lot of the same stuff. So I don't think that it really matters to label these two guys. There are obviously some different differentiations to these two positions, but I think that there's a lot of similarities in their game in terms of that they're both pretty darn good athletes. They're, they move well. I think that Barton traditionally has been a little more polished in coverage, and Jordan Brooks is a better run defender overall. But both these guys are really good tacklers. When they get their hands on guys, they've got the ability to penetrate, get in the backfield, create tackles for loss. There are a lot of similarities and they're really not built that much differently. Barton's a little bit smaller in terms of weight, but 
I think that there's some crossover in their game. So I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, these two guys can play both positions, so it's not really a big deal. I don't really think Jordan Brooks is any better at one than the other. I think you probably could say the same about Cody Barton as well. Okay, what have you seen from Levi Lewis? I'll say the first thing, he's really short. He is 5'8 and a half. That is 100% correct. Have not had a chance to watch him much because there was only rookie mini camp. Most of that is a glorified walkthrough. So to be honest with you, I don't know what to expect from this kid. As far as throwing the ball, you could see the velocity, had some nice touch, definitely can throw the ball a long ways. Uh, but I need to actually see him on the field doing more team-related drills before I really have an idea where he's going to fit. And I think that height, though, is is definitely – and when you're five eight and a half, that is something that's very difficult to overcome. But certainly he was a very productive college quarterback – for a Louisiana program that has been ascending and went 13 and one last year and put a 74 touchdown passes in his career. He's a very solid college quarterback. It's going to be tough for him though, at that height to be able to make much of a, make much noise with this quarterback competition. I don't even know how much he's going to get opportunities in the preseason with three guys in front of him, but certainly a guy they may want to develop for a year or two on the practice squad. I don't see him probably advancing beyond that point, but we'll see. He's certainly got some physical tools that are intriguing. Time for a couple more questions here. Dr. Dab, who do you think will shine the most from this year's draft? Hmm. So, you know, if you're asking who I think has the best chance to maybe be a star right away, I I would say Ken Walker the third, and that doesn't mean he has to be a starter for you. The Seahawks are going to run the football a lot without Russell Wilson being here. Pete Carroll's bread and butter, whether fans like it or not, they're going to run the ball a lot. Rashad Penny's going to get his touches. So is Ken Walker the third. I, I think he's got the best chance to be an immediate impact star especially if Rashad Penny isn't able to replicate what he did last year. He deals with injuries, and this becomes Kenneth Walker III's job. He's got great athleticism, outstanding ball carrier vision. He's got everything you're looking for to fit in this scheme. He's excelled in a pro-style scheme, so he would be the one of all the rookies that I think has the best star potential early for the Seahawks. Maybe not the highest ceiling, maybe not the most important position, but he has a chance to come in right away and make some noise out of the backfield for the Seahawks. Defro, will Chris Carson be released? What would the timing of that be? So I would think if it's going to happen, it's going to happen fairly soon. We should know a bit more once OTAs get rolling. From what Pete Carroll said, Chris Carson's not going to be at the facility for that. They're playing the long game here, so maybe they're going to wait this all the way out until training camp. But after June 1st, it gives you a bit more financial flexibility to be able to make that move. So I would think if they already know there's a chance that he is not going to be able to play, that maybe that move is coming fairly soon once they've gotten deep into OTAs and they have mandatory minicamp coming up. We'll see. He could show up halfway through and be ready to go. I hope that's the case. I hope that he gets to play. Uh, but right now, there's just a ton of uncertainty. So I can't tell you when it's going to happen. I would think that if they have a lot of pessimism and they're not necessarily thinking he's got a chance to play. There's probably going to be some news coming. If they behind the scenes think there is still a pretty good chance he could come back, then they're not going to rush to make that move. But again, the draft pick of Kenneth Walker, the third suggests to me that they are not optimistic about where he's at coming back from a significant neck injury, playing a position that's going to get smacked all the time too. 
There might be other positions in football you can get away with coming back with a neck injury. I think running back, that's going to be really hard for him to pull off. So we'll see. Again, I'm hoping, I'm pulling for him. We'll see what happens here in coming weeks. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Rob Rang and I will be back for tomorrow's Monday episode. The two of us will be continuing our Inside the Seahawks draft, checking out Tyreek Smith. We'll have more on the Ohio State defensive end as he comes into the NFL. Plus, we'll be breaking down some undrafted free agent rookies to watch and continuing our observations that we saw at Rookie Minicamp. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Go Hawks.